Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitcavage, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check us out on the web at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is an assistant professor of fiction at Vanderbilt University. Previously, they were the Helen Zell Visiting Professor of Fiction at University of Michigan. They received the Stegner Fellowship in Fiction at Stanford University, the Rona Jaffa's Writers Award, three Pushcart Prizes, a grant from the Elizabeth George Foundation, and tuition scholarships from Breadloaf, fellowships from McDowell, Yaddo, and more. Their work has appeared in Tin House, American Short Fiction, The Southern Review, Gettysburg Review, and elsewhere, and is forthcoming in the Paris Review. Their debut collection of short stories, Rainbow Rainbow, is out now. Please welcome Lydia Conklin. Hey, Lydia. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm doing super um, now that I'm talking to you because I think if anyone's followed me on Twitter, they know how obsessed I am with Rainbow Rainbow. So it is such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so glad to finally meet you and see you face to face. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's very exciting. Um, we'll just dive right into it. Um, what is Rainbow Rainbow about? So Rainbow Rainbow is a story collection that follows the lives of queer and trans characters at all different stages of life and often around the time of transitions, like gender transitions and sort of revelations about sexuality, but also at the beginning of sobriety or after big moves from different locations um, or at the end or beginning of relationships. So all kinds of transitional moments occur throughout. Yeah. And a trap that a lot of people fall into, and I am included in that is we like to ask debut authors like, oh, is this book about you or whatever, right? Um, But with a story collection, I want to ask like, how does each story represent a part of you or did you really pull from other areas? Definitely. Yeah. So every character, even sort of some of the more major minor characters have parts of me in them. Um, There are some characters that align more with my experience than others, of course. And uh, some characters that I feel that were struggles to write because I feel alien from like they're the way they behave isn't at times alien from the way I behave. And so that took a lot more fictional imagination to pull off, but it helped me get into and invested in every character by putting some part of me in all of them. For sure. And I meant to look this up right before I started talking to you, but I'll just ask, I, I mean, with story lessons, especially, it could take a while. You know, you could have stories from years and years ago that you retouched. I guess when, what's the oldest story in this collection? So the oldest is the Black Winter of New England, which is the second story. And I, I started that one in 2010. So it's about 12 years old at this point. Um, And the newest, I think the newest is Boy Jump, the last one. Hmm. How would you say, we'll start small. How has your writing changed in the course of like, you know, the collection. Oh, interesting. I think one thing that I, that used to be more of a struggle for me and that I've worked into really hard. So I think it, it has, it it isn't as much an issue now, or it's like something that I specifically tried to develop was interiority and closeness to characters. So in the black winter of new England, I did over time add more and more interiority to it. But when I first wrote that story, Hazel's inner thoughts were slightly mysterious to the reader. Um, 
versus a story like Laramie Time, where it's like almost all of the drama happens in the mind of Lee, who's the main character and how she's changed her changing thoughts about having children and her relationship. Um, and so the nuance of that t- interiority is the driving force of the story. Yeah. And, and I mean, what I love and what I've, I've like talked about, especially in like my tweets about your book is how much I love the characters. And I feel like what you did super well was like allow us into their like being like not even their thoughts, just like I felt lived in these characters. And so, yes, I just wanted to compliment you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I feel like it's one of the last things writers learn or something or like new writers. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it takes a lot of work. It took a lot of work for me to get there. I think it's the, maybe the show don't tell thing that messes people up that you have, you can never even say like, I'm nervous because it has to be like sweat was falling down my face every single time. But it's like, it, it's really, I think people take it too serious. I certainly took it yeah. too seriously and other people too. Definitely. And how have you, because like a lot of like the, the characters are about like finding themselves and transitioning through these, these moments in life. How have you changed in the course of like this long period of like the, writing the collection? Oh, wow. Yeah, I've changed so much. I mean, because I've gone through so many like like gender transitions since that time, but also like um, I counted up the other day that I moved nine times in the last 12 years. So like even just on that level, just I have been so many more places, had so many jobs, like gone through so many relationships. I mean, I still feel like I'm sort of still the same core self as I was at 12, but in those other ways, it's like, I feel like I've lived many a life since I started the book. Which yeah. Is- and I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and I'm obsessed with place a lot too. I moved around, I mean, not too much, but back and forth across the country throughout my childhood. And then as an adult and, and I, and that makes sense that you move so much compared to like what was written about in the the collection yeah yeah totally yeah because you said you lived in phoenix yeah so yeah the the, yeah phoenix most of my life but born in pennsylvania and then after college it was like atlanta maine back to phoenix now up to denver okay the only one one we share is atlanta then which i do like that place oh we can do a deep dive on atlanta (laughs) when were you there what's (laughs) we're gonna take a detour real quick what what what, what was the time frame of atlanta um it was 2015 to 17 oh cool yeah i was there mm, 11 and 12 um i bet it changed a lot in those five years (laughs) yeah (laughs) between us yeah i heard i heard it became they made it more walkable and kind of pedestrian friendly which I liked because mm-hmm. I thought it wouldn't be like that but it was so for sure and then you know with all the places you move like do you tie stories to the places you were living in or do you not think about the stories like that yeah I do like some of the stories like um a fearless moral inventory is from Madison is in Madison where I lived for two years and cheerful until next time is in Atlanta uh, the three stories set in the nineties are set in my hometown. So I do feel very tied to the place, the time periods and the places. I think that's, that's something I've thought about too, a lot is the time periods because of the way sort of laws 
and policies and mores around queerness and transness change over time so much shift so like it's very important for me to pinpoint exactly where we are in time and location also plays a role in that too because where you are it makes so much of a difference of how out can you be or what kind of community is there so those 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 sort of features are very important to me Mm -hmm. and and with the characters that um you know have small parts of you or like the same ideas or, or same like location and time now that you know years have passed for some of these stories do you still see yourself in those characters or do you see that version of yourself like do you see your current self in these characters still yeah in a lot of yeah. ways I do yeah it's like well I would do that I would I mean I really did dress as Knox from the Oregon Trail reenactment at my school and I feel like that would still be the character I'd be the most comfortable being that's awesome yeah. uh god that's so funny to me I like I, I could talk about each story individually but I just want to keep like looking at at, at uh you know Lydia Conklin as a whole um so 12 years roughly for the whole collection. Um, what were you writing before then? Were they similar types of stories? Were you not even writing? What was going on pre what eventually became Rainbow Rainbow? Yeah, I I have written all my life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even since I was before I could actually write, I remember my, dictating to my mom and then illustrating the writing and so but I think the first story that was probably like a proto story for that could have been in this collection I wrote in college um it was called the dogs in the sea I remember and so that was probably I don't know 2004 or something like that so I was writing stories that could have fit into the collection but just weren't good enough yet since then yeah um but I've also always worked on novels and I I still am also working on a novel so that's also been kind of a parallel journey yeah I'd love to talk about that idea of like writing something you know long and unseen as so far compared to like stories that in theory could be seen pretty publicly you know if they're published especially um do you work on the two at the same time or do you like separate them and like okay I'm gonna work on just the novel today and not even think about short stories um basically what I do for my process is yeah I'll always have like a main project that like I will be tried to be I think it's because I'm so I always have a problem of too many projects Mm -hmm. and I've sort of accepted that that's part of my process and that people have said like I a lot of people hate their writing process either it's too slow or whatever for whatever reason they hate it and I heard someone once say like well it's working for you and you're probably going to hate it no matter what it is but if it's working Mm -hmm. that's just you kind of have to accept it so my thing is like people are always like just focus on one thing and I have never been able to do that though I've tried but yeah normally it'll be like of one project that no matter what else I'm working on, if I get edits returned from a friend or agent, whatever for that, it will try to trump all the other projects. And usually that's a novel, but with the collection, it became that when I was really working on that. But yeah, the stories all, 
I'll work on for a while and sometimes I'll put it away for months or even sometimes literally years between mm. even reading it. And then I'm able to look at it with the fresh eyes and, and dig into it in a braver way than if I was just banging my head against it until I was finished. Yeah. Yeah. So earlier I talked about like timeline for what was first and last, but what, what story in rainbow rainbow took the longest. I would say the story I struggled with and read the most was Ooh, the suburbs because that story is old, probably from 2011. I started it and I, I think I submitted it to somewhere between 80 and 100 journals before it got accepted, wow. which ridiculously got accepted to the Paris review, which I never would have <laughs> expected after all those millions of rejections. But along the way I would get feedback from editors and and edit it more and keep working on it. And so over the years, I read that one the most and worked mm-hmm. on it the most. Do you remember like what the early feedback was that like you eventually worked into like the published version? Um, yeah, I remember some feedback from Narrative Magazine early on about clarifying the relationship between the girls and about the ending and how they wanted to go deeper into Heidi's brain at the end. And then I also struggled a lot through the years with Lisa Parsons because she acts immorally and does bad things. But at the same time, Heidi is sort of lionizing her um, through this like adolescent perspective of someone she's not exactly fully aware of being sort of an immoral and predatory person but I also didn't want her to be a black and white character who was just fully evil I wanted the reader to be able to see that she was also struggling um and probably because of sexuality issues and community issues and so I didn't want her to be flat but it was hard to inhabit a character who would behave in that way so that that also took a lot of work what was the easiest story um the story that kind of like just blasted out of me was Pink Knives, which is the second youngest. And I think it had has a lot of personal truth in it and a lot of sort of built up feelings about, you know, the three big issues in it, which are the pandemic preparation for top surgery and um, the, the sort of navigating an open relationship. So I think I just had so much thoughts about those things that it felt like it just blasted out mm-hmm. yeah like oh, God, like my favorite thing to do especially with short, short story collections is like after i learn all this is to go back and reread it so i'll yeah. like we'll be rereading this between when we're recording and when your book comes out in 11 days um or 11 days am i doing math right oh well that's i have, I have no idea right <laughs> yeah something around there um and, and, and another thing I'm obsessed about, and I and I I think writers who aren't published yet or who are just starting to publish is like the idea of like how a short story collection comes to be, um, yeah. like the actual business side of it. Because you know, like so you're writing these stories are being published in X, Y, and Z. You know, um, when do you know or when do you find out or when do you decide that you're going to make a collection? Like that's going to be a thing you're going to do. So I thought I had one a long time before mm-hmm. I did, which was right around the end of my MFA in like 2012, I was like, I literally have enough stories to make a book. Um, But 
I realized I don't, that some of the stories are doing the same work and there's not enough variation. And it was like, there are maybe two or three stories that were trying to cover the same ground as like the black winter of new England. And I, it, so then it took me many years later of sort of going into different directions with like the themes of gender and queerness. Um, like for example, sunny talks was a story that I don't think the collection could feel complete without because it sort of shows the experience although he's not the point of view character Sonny is is giving a counterpoint to the experience of the younger characters growing up in the 90s and he's growing up now where things in some ways are easier because there's more visibility and acceptance of queer and trans people but also there's this whole monstrosity of YouTube and like infighting and tribalism whatever other sort of issues are coming up for youths now. So that kind of broadened the scope of the collection in a way that felt necessary for it to feel like it was going in enough direction. Mm -hmm. And you were working on all that like pre-agent, pre-everything, or was that feedback from an agent? Um, That feedback was from an agent. Yeah. Back in the day. And then, um, but I didn't get tons of feedback on the collection as a whole. I remember a friend read it years ago and Mm -hmm. gave me some feedback, but I was mostly just kind of writing the stories I wanted to write. And then every now and then, but maybe only two times in a decade, sort of being like, do I have a collection now? (laughs) Because I don't know, you probably talk to other people who say this, but like sometimes the business people are like, you should come out with a novel first and not mm-hmm. a collection. And so for a while I was like, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to try to do a novel. And then one day I was like, I think it feels complete. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, I mean, God, I love talking about like the business side of liter- like, you know, publishing because and I've said this numerous times, writing is the art and then publishing is the business. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I just love talking about it. Uh, so yeah, you you decide, okay, this is it. I, ha- I have it. It's complete. And then are you, just to get into the nitty gritty, are you with an agent then? Do you then start shopping that out? Uh, like what was the timeline of like when you're like, okay, this is it? Um, to be honest, this happened maybe a little bit more quickly than for some people. Because I suddenly, I had a few major life changes, which made me realize I need to get a job urgently that um, after my first thing, my last thing and was ending and it was like, I need a job now. Plus it was the 2020 election was about to happen. And I was like, Trump's going to get reelected. There's no future. Everything's going to fall apart. I just want to sell my book before that happens. And so I was slightly in a panic and I feel bad. My agent was so nice and supportive about it though, but she was like, all right, let's do this. And so we just kind of like, curated the collection together, sent it out, and then heard from editors within a couple of days. And just, it happened all very quickly. And then it sold and then the election turned out well. And so I was like, yay, <laughs> but then, you know, so it was all a happy ending, but it kind of began with a panic of darkness, yeah. like the world will end soon. Yeah, I think <laughs> leading up to 2020, I mean, I mean, the pandemic, I guess, was going on, but it was like that election was like, what is the rest of our life going to be like? You know? Yeah, it was such a scary moment. 
Um, yes, yeah, so now the book's out on well, will be out on Catapult, uh, who I secretly, not so secretly, am in love with. Um, I talk about them way too much outside of things. And so that are you so you're still working on a novel that you're always working on something that, and that's like the main thing that you're currently like focusing on. I mean, outside of talking to people on podcasts and you know, having to publicize your book, the novel is kind of next, maybe, or a novel. Yeah, so I did, I did have to do, not have to, but did do a few nonfiction pieces surrounding themes with the book, which I hadn't done much nonfiction except for comics and a long time. So that was a real learning curve and took a lot of effort. Um, but yeah, I am now finally turning back to my novel because everyone tells me like the best thing for mental health is to work on the next thing when your book's coming out. So I'm my, I, my agent had read it a little while ago and then we, I did a reverse outline and now I'm kind of doing a, not a total overhaul, but just a pretty decently radical revision of it now that I'm embarking on. So I'm glad to have that project yeah. going on. And, and you mentioned comments, comics, and I meant to bring this up. So yeah, you also do graphic art, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Storytelling, yeah. Uh, is that just like a, like, do you view that, and not to diminish it, but like as a side thing, like how ingrained is that into like your writing life? It is more of a side, it, it, I would consider it a side thing. Yeah. Because I do, I, my primary thing is prose writing, but I mm-hmm. do a good amount of comics, but it kind of comes and goes in waves. And for a long time I was blocked on comics and it was very difficult because I had this project called Lesbian Cattle Dogs that was my main project. And I finished a graphic novel of it. And then I felt so adrift because I'd been working on it for years. And so for a couple of years, I was just really bummed and could not think of an idea for the life of me. But then this New Year's, I said, I'm just going to do a comic where I write one panel a day, draw one panel a day and Mm -hmm. don't pre-plan it. Because that's how I write fiction is I just write. I don't plan it at all. But with comics, I always wrote it, planned it all out in advance. And I was like, it doesn't have to be that way. So now I'm trying to just do one where I'm discovering it as I go. And it's a very different experience and fun. Yeah. I I find it so amazing that especially when people can write prose and then even write like screenplays or you know dramas or write comics and it's like I could barely write like a, a write-up of a book like I can't even imagine that, how your brain is just like going in all these different directions um uh the novel which I won't ask about other than this which you don't even have to answer because I believe in the jinx but like if you had to compare it in some way to one of the stories in Rainbow Rainbow, I guess, which is it a cousin to or whatever? Oh, interesting. It's actually interesting because it's very much came from the seed of a story that didn't mm. get into the book because it. I wasn't able to get it together before I wrote the book. But I would, let me see, which, which it does deal with non-binary identity. Mm-hmm. So in that way, um, it, it has a similarity to Sunny Talks. Um, and it also deals with issues of sort of storytelling uh, and what stories we tell about each other and appropriation of um, queer culture and queer baiting and those kind of things, which I think comes up a little bit in some of the stories like 
Sheriff until next time deals with the idea of like who's able to tell whose story kind of thing. And that's a major theme. So I would say those stories. Awesome. Um, like I said, I could talk about all of your stories. I, I, I usually like have a favorite that I'll like ask a short story collection or the author of a short story collection to like really deep dive into. But I have, I think all 10 are just like knockouts. I just am honestly blown away. I loved it so much. Um, and I can't remember who introduced me to your book as normally I do like to like give a shout out to like the person who's like, Hey, this book is great. But I honestly think it was just like um, the team at Catapult were like, trust me, Adam, you're going to love oh, it. Um, yeah, they're the best. Yeah, no, honestly. Um, and I noticed in your acknowledgements, you know, cause I read that cause I am a nerd for that. Uh, Cara Blue Adams is an, an editor or picked like published one of the short stories pretty early on, which yeah. is always just awesome. Cause I've also interviewed her. Oh yeah. I I just love seeing names pop up frequently. Um, So just shouting out amazing people around you and in in and out of your lives. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What have you been reading? What's been on your mind or that you want to read? So I just finished second place by Rachel Cusk, which Mm -hmm. I loved. Um, And I also am reading my friend Kate folks book out there, which is a collection I really recommend. Mm -hmm. And and we workshop some of the same stories in workshop together at the Stegner. So it feels like the books are siblings in some way because we helped each other so much. Um, and I'm, I'm excited we're coming out at the same time. And then I think you interviewed Jasmine Chan too. Um, yes, yes, uh, yes. That's one of my favorite books of the year for sure. I love that book yeah. so much. I know I had actually read that book when it was in the manuscript form trying to give her feedback. And I remember it haunted me so much, like mm-hmm. in a good way, but I just, it stayed deep in my consciousness and I actually had dreams about it. And I just thought it was one of probably the best book, if not one of the top three books I ever read in a manuscript form. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy to see it getting the success it deserves. Cause I feel like sometimes like a book, you're like, dang, that book doesn't deserve that or someone. Yeah. Or, or like someone deserves success and doesn't get it. And I feel like this is a case where it's like, it deserves unlimited attention and success. So it just makes me so happy to see yeah. it. Yeah. And that's um, the school for good mothers. Cause I don't think we said the title, but yes, yeah, such a good book. It is wildly amazing. And then um, yeah. And now I, I was going to end on book recs, but I kind of want to talk to you about just like the writing community. Cause Kate Folk and, you know, Stegner, uh, reading Jasmine's book and manuscript like what is your writing community like right now so it's good I have like um I have my the the cohort of mine from the Stegner which is five people we stayed together as a decided to stay together as a writing group so we kind of meet on a as needed basis when someone has a project we gather on zoom and we're all in different places in different time zones but it's just so nice to still have their feedback which is so helpful and since I've been in Ann Arbor just this last year I was able to assemble a writing group um, of people of people in the town Mm -hmm. which has been really really good also for building community but also getting feedback so I think writing groups have different flavors the Stegner one is more like there's no, there's not many compliments because we all know we love each other's work. So it's just, okay, how do you fix this? Let's get down to it. And it's more just brass tacks. Whereas the Ann Arbor one is kind of more community and cheerleading aspects too, which is nice to have the balance. 
Thank you so much to Lydia for joining the podcast today. You can find them at Lydia-Conklin.com and on Instagram at Twitter at Lydia Conklin. That's just their first and last name. You can find Day Beautiful at DayBeautiful.net and at Day Beautiful on all social media. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. <laughs>